0: How's everybody doing today? Good? Good. Thanks for coming to church. We always appreciate that. That's a very awesome. Very awesome. Um, I hope things are going well for you. Um, I'm glad to be here with you. We're kicking off our first week of uh, the Uncomfortable series. If you don't know who I am, my name is Pastor Tim Gillespie. I'm the lead pastor here at Crosswalk Church, so it's good to, good to see you and get to know you. Um, here at this church, we do a five-week series, just so you know, and then sometimes we don't finish a topic in five weeks, and so we revisit it for a season two. We've never done a season three, You don't care. It's just a comment. I thought, um, anyway, so we're talking about the series is called uncomfortable. So we're talking about a lot of different things that are uncomfortable. Um, we're taking on the idea of uncomfortable people, uncomfortable worship, uncomfortable diversity, and even the idea of uncomfortable unity and what that means. We'll be doing that over the next five weeks. And we're really excited because we've got our new worship pastor, Pastor Taylor preaching on uncomfortable worship next week. So I'm really excited to hear that. That's going to be really great. Um, um, and if you remember, in our first season, we took on topics like uh, just discomfort in general, um, the idea of uncomfortable holiness, the uncomfortable cross, uncomfortable truths, and even uncomfortable love. But today, we're talking about uncomfortable people. And um, you may be wondering why are we taking on uncomfortable people? That's an uncomfortable topic. Um, <laughs> But we're doing it because church has a tendency to bring in uncomfortable people. I would like to posit something right here at the beginning, though. I want you all to remember this. Um, It's very possible that you are uncomfortable for someone else right? Because what happens is we start talking about uncomfortable people and we're all thinking about the people that we find uncomfortable. Well, someone may be thinking about you. So let's just all relax a little bit and realize we're all kind of in this boat together. Like there are some people that are just uncomfortable for whatever reason. Um, And church, Church has a tendency to bring those people in, especially when you say, hey, we're a community of belonging, you're all welcome here. Well, that means people are going to come and try and feel welcome. And sometimes they're uncomfortable people. And sometimes, like I said, you are uncomfortable for them. Um, But, you know, I think that's all right. Church is a place where you hang out with people that, you know, you wouldn't you might not necessarily hang out with. And the reason why I think it's important that we talk about this is because uh, the truth is we're all a little crazy right? And that's uncomfortable, but let's face it. I think, like, I think getting married is kind of this journey of just figuring out what kind of crazy fits you at the end of the day. Because, you know, you grew up in a church, you grew up in a family, I should say, who does things a certain way. And then your spouse grows up in a family that does things a different way. And if it's too different, you just keep looking at those other people like, what is wrong with you? Why, why would you open gifts on the evening, not the day at Christmas? That makes no sense. And they're looking at you like, why would you wait? Don't you want the gifts? Why are you putting yourself out? I mean, I think, I think that's, that's kind of what ends up happening, right? I think that we, um, we, we choose to be in uncomfortable places. And church is very much like that. Because why should we stay together if it's so... Uncomfortable if we're around people that we don't necessarily like or don't necessarily, you know, think the same way about or even have the same culture or, you know, why, why do we do that? Because you know no one's taking attendance here, right? This is not like chapel in high school if you went to an Adventist school. This is, you can come and go as you please. It doesn't matter. No one, I mean, it matters. It doesn't matter. But, but it, you don't have to be here. No one's taking attendance. No one's expecting you to be here are not. So why stay together? It has to be something more than just, you know, what we here offer. Dan Carson, in his book, Hard Places, says an interesting thing. It's a long quote, so um, bear with me. It says, what binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything of the sort. Christians come together, not because they form a natural co-location, but because they have been served by Jesus Christ and owe him a common allegiance. But he continues, in the light of this common allegiance, in the light of the fact that they have all been loved by Jesus himself, they commit themselves to doing what he says, and he commands them to love one another. In this light, they are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus's sake. Amen. I think we can get an amen for that. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. At the end, he says they are natural enemies who love one another for Jesus's sake. Natural enemies? That makes me nervous about you people. Here's the thing. That seems a little strong, but scripture actually puts opposites together, and then says, by the way, you're not opposites. It says this in Galatians 3.28, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And I think this is true. The organizing principle has to be Jesus. Because if the organizing principle is not Jesus, this whole thing falls apart because it's too uncomfortable right? There has to be something beyond, something that holds us together, a common principle, a higher love, a deeper commitment, regardless of what people say. And we belong to a denomination that likes to like create these kind of hard lines between us and everybody else. And and sometimes it doesn't feel like the organizing principle is Jesus. Uh, The organizing principle is us as a people. And that's probably not enough So our organizing principle is Jesus and it has to be, because if it's not, we defend very different things. We promote very different things and we find commonality in things that are transitory ultimately. So I guess we have to ask the question, how do we stay together if we are so different? And I've been thinking about this a lot in the context of not only the church, But in the context of the world that we live in, which is an incredibly divided world and an incredibly difficult place right now. And I mean, the world has always been a pretty difficult place. I think we can probably acknowledge that. But, and I've mentioned this before, we're about to go into another election cycle here in North America, in the United States. That's always a dicey thing um, because there's a bunch of people in this room that don't think the same. You're not going to vote for the same people. You're not going to think the way um, one party does it is right or the other party does it is right. You have different ideas on what's going on in the world right now and who's right and who's not right. Like, and we're all here in the room together. How are we going to do that? How are we going to do that in a way that honors God? How are we going to do that in a way that transcends what we think and moves us into a place that reaches out to the eternal? And I think that's real. This is not just a philosophical conversation we're having today. It's really about how we're going to get along in really difficult times. Right? And so, so I want us to listen as we process through this, because what I am not going to accept next year is a church fighting amongst itself because it is seeking other leaders than Jesus Christ, right? I need us to understand that. And my promise to you is that I'm going to be deeply, deeply in the midst of the word. And that's what I'm going to bring to you not unbiased, I'd like to say that, but um, the interpretation that God has given me for this congregation throughout a difficult season that we're heading into. But it's important that we understand that how we hear this together makes a difference. So how do we stay together if we are so different? Well, it begins in one place, in my opinion. It begins with worship. A community that worships together has this common bond of the Holy Spirit. We worship together without segregating by age or by interest. We're not a church that has a, uh, a, a traditional service, for those who like that, and a non-traditional service or a contemporary or whatever we call them now, modern services, I don't know, for that. We just do one thing. We do it, try to do it really well, and we invite everybody in. Right? We do that because we think that there's um, a common bond of the Holy Spirit that can inhabit our worship and that it's really important for us to do that. So that's where it begins, is it begins with worship because there's something really powerful about worship. The organizing principle of worship is not the song. The organizing principle of the worship is the object of worship, and that's Jesus. So we can come together and get out of our own heads and our own hearts and try and get into the head and heart of Jesus. And that's one of the ways that we bond together Without thinking about the, 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 the divisions between us, we actually can go, hey, it doesn't matter if I come from the same background as you, if I like the same people as you do. It doesn't matter if I have the same job, if I earn 10 times more, or 10 times less than you. It doesn't matter because we are all, all one in unity of worshiping God. And that's why we spend so much time and so much energy to make a worship experience that matters so we can get beyond ourselves and commit to the community that worship God together. Hebrews 10, 25 says it like this, and let let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that his day of return is drawing near. Worship is not just about the music. I hope you understand that. It's really about mutual encouragement, which comes to us from Romans one and that we give to one another. It's this mutual encouragement. We come together to experience God together. And in that we find mutuality and we find commonality and we understand we are under a gracious God altogether, saved regardless of where we come from. So this is important. And we stay together by hearing the whole counsel of God, even when that whole counsel of God is unpopular, And so it's important that we talk about what the whole counsel of God is, because I've heard this preached before, and um, it's fascinating to me because Paul has a pretty serious idea of what the whole counsel of God is. And when I've heard it preached, I've often heard a lot of other things put in on it. It's usually, here's the whole counsel of God, and by the way, here's your behavior that I'm going to talk to you about for the next 45 minutes as well, because you guys need to shape up a little bit right? I'm not sure that that's the way the whole counsel of God should go because Paul's pretty clear. In Acts chapter 20, Paul says, listen, I've been preaching to the Ephesians and I actually feel pretty good about it. I'm okay no matter what I'm going through because I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know, that's the New Living Translation version of it, or the whole counsel of God. So what is the whole counsel of God? We got to go back to Ephesians to really hear it, but it's pretty clear. The first part of the whole counsel of God is that we are dead in sin and deserving of God's wrath. The Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, I'll just paraphrase for you right? We're dead in sin and deserving of God's wrath. If we read from Romans chapter 5, we know that while we were still sinners, God died for us and he invited us into that relationship with grace. But it begins with the recognition that we need Jesus to save us. And also we understand Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that we cannot save ourselves through keeping the law. So works are not going to get us there. So the first recognition is that we need Jesus because we are sinners. The second recognition is that the law has never saved anybody. Never did, never will. All it does is point out sin, which we know, which is great. So like, I'm a fan of the law. Just, you know, don't use it as a tool for salvation. It reminds us that we need Jesus, right? And then we recognize that the gospel call is a call to repentance and faith right? So we accept what Jesus did for us on the cross. We accept it and we bring it into our lives. And we also understand this coming from John 16, 33, that believers will face persecution and be considered foolish at times. So this, this recognition that you're a sinner, the, also the acceptance of the grace that Jesus Christ gives us for him crucified and resurrected moves us into this space, knowing that not everybody's going to understand what it is and how it is that we live. See, Paul didn't speak in half-truths, but taught the totality of God's salvation through Jesus Christ. Paul says it in a simple phrase, your grace is sufficient, right? Now, sometimes people worry like, well, so that means we can just go do whatever we want. Friends, when you respond to that kind of love, it's always a positive thing, right? So your life is a response to the love that Jesus Christ has given you. That's what's important here. And that's the totality that's the whole council of God that we see Paul preaching. So we, we start with worship and then we recognize that this whole thing, this organizing principle is going to be Jesus, what he has done for us and the whole counsel of what God did for us and how we live as a response to that. All of that comes the same. So how else do we stay together with uncomfortable people? One of the ways is by fighting homogeneity and cultivating diversity within our community. Our communities should never look like just one group of people that are all the same. How boring would that be if everyone just liked the same things I liked and did the same and ate the same food and just how boring would that be? Celebrating the fact that we are not the same, right? Age, race, gender, and more. We are blessed to be a diverse community. And by the way, we have a whole week on diversity in scripture coming up, but one of the ways that we stay together is by constantly bringing in new people that are not like us, right? That way the waters never get stale. That way there's always an influx of fresh new thinking, new vibrancy, new dynamism, and new cultures. All of that's really important. So that helps us stay together because it's a community that is constantly growing. As well one of the ways we stay together is prioritizing the value of church membership and giving. Now, let me tell you why I say this. Um, and it's fascinating. I'm watching the group chat from our Chattanooga campus. They just became a church. No, they're not yet. They're not yet. They're working on their way to get a church. So they're doing their membership roles. And they had, they had like 50 members forever because nobody did it. And then they got a new pastor and he got organized. And they have 199 members now. And they have 120 people on a waiting list being processed. Now, what's cool about that is that you now have over 300 people on that campus that are recognizing this place is mine, right? Membership does that. And if you're not a member here at Crosswalk, I would suggest you go to our website and you ask to have your membership here if you feel like it's here. Because membership means your ownership, right? And when you own something, you treat it very differently. Have any of you ever been a landlord? Maybe I should ask it this way. Have any of you ever rented? It's a different question, right? Very different experience. Um, I've rented and tried to be a good renter. I've been a landlord and realized not everybody feels the same way, right? We did it for about three years. We were landlords. And after three years, we thought this is horrible. We don't ever want to do it again. Trusting somebody else to steward something that's not theirs, they don't do it. People will destroy a house just because they're leaving. It's the weirdest thing right? Because it's not theirs. When you move your membership to a church, you're saying this, I have, a, I, have a, I have ownership of this place. I want a piece of this. I want to be part of something. And that's really important. And then the reason there's an emphasis on giving is because then you sacrifice and you steward for this place because it becomes part of you, right? That's how we stay together. You're not so quick to leave in something that you've invested in. And I get it. There's lots of churches in the area and you may hit two or three church services every single week and love what you do and you have a wonderful experience. Good for you. That's great. You're a tourist. (laughs) You are. You're a tourist. Enjoy the time. Glad we could, you know, give you some entertainment and, and let you consume it. At least pay for the seat. And if that sounds harsh, community is not just about consuming something together. Community, true Christian community, is about investment in one another. And that's why membership matters. And that's why giving matters because it becomes part of who you are. You've invested in this place. You've sacrificed for this place, right? And 2 Corinthians 9, 7 is a pretty common text we use when we talk about giving. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. So I hope you understand. I'm not pressuring you. What I'm trying to tell you is if you want to be a part of something, you've got to put some skin in the game. And that's true anywhere, right? For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Well, you well. But we show commitment to a community and to the mission and the work of God through that community by saying, I want to be a part of this officially. And I'm going to give because I, I think the work that they're doing is important and I want to be a part of it. By the way, this also creates something. It creates a stick-to-itiveness, right? So you stick around if the church goes through hard times or changes pastors. And that's a particular malady in this area because there's so many churches and so many pastors, right? Pastors move and change. People go, ah, I like that pastor. I don't like this new pastor. I'm just going to leave. When I got to this church, the church had been through some difficult times, Right? not pointing any names or blaming anybody. It just been through some difficult times, but there were certain members, certain families that were here that said, this is our place. We're not going anywhere. We know we don't love what's happening. Maybe we, you know, the church culture has changed. We're going to stay here and we're going to be the, the, the pillars of this church, getting it through. I remember one of these pillar families saying, listen, we just figured we'd be the ones to turn off the lights when everybody left. We were going to be the last people here. They were committed to the church and the community that God was growing. Thank goodness, nine years ago, we were able to turn this place around and, and have what we have today. But it's not because I got here. It's because there were families that were committed and weren't going to leave. And you know what they did? They had created a tight knit community because we stay together by building a tight knit community, but not an insular community. And this is hard, right? This is hard. I, I. I can't imagine that everybody feels this way. This is a big church. We've got over a thousand people attending every single week. It's easy to create cliques. It's easy to create in groups and and perceived out groups. Like that's the nature of just, you know, kind of the sociological effect of humanity and this many people being around. Um, What I would say is this, even if you feel like you belong to a group of people that likes each other, always keep a door open so someone else can come in right? We want tight knit communities. And in a church this big, they're going to be smaller communities. This is why we talk about small groups. And I'm so excited that Pastor John Ciccarelli is here with us now. To, well, he's not here today. He's in New England today preaching out there. But, um, but I'm glad that he's here for us and for the network because what he's doing is he's building. This is why the Discipleship Survey matters, by the way. He's building um, a discipleship process based on the needs of this community, particularly starting here in Redlands, um, and making sure that people can feel connected, not just to God, but to others as well. This is why small groups and affinity groups and the groups that you have and live life with and you know, work and play and pray together, all those things matter. And we want you to create tight-knit communities, but we want to make sure there's a door open so other people can come in. Do you remember the last time you walked in a church and didn't know anyone? We often have to put ourselves back in that place so that people can have that sense of belonging when they walk into here. And that's really important. This helps us keep very different groups of people together. This also leads to something else. How do we keep uncomfortable people together? By becoming engaged members This means we move past consuming church and we begin to add to the community by our time, our talents, and our engagement. You know this. Uncomfortable people become less uncomfortable as we work together in service to God through the church. We all know this. If you've ever been on a mission trip, you know this, right? You get on a bus with a group of people that you don't know. They all seem weird to you. By the end of 10 days, building something that you don't know really how to build. By the end of that time, you're best friends and your best friends for life, right? This is what happens when we serve God together. So if you feel like, man, there's a lot of uncomfortable people in this church, go serve next to them and they will become less uncomfortable. You'll get to know them. If we don't do that, again, you're just kind of coming through the doors and, and, and kind of sifting through what could be great relationships with wonderful people, but you don't know them. So they feel weird because we all feel a little weird on the outside, But when we get to know each other and particularly when we serve one another and when we serve together, we begin to build relationships that, and I don't know, this is a constant strain through all of this, that goes beyond ourselves. You see, community means we are living beyond just how we feel inside and moving into a broader experience of of humanity, which is really important. Hebrews 13.6 says it this way, and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. We do this not just with the money, but with our engagement in the ministries of church, right? So that we might encourage one another, 1 Thessalonians five eleven. so that we can encourage one another to build each other up just as you're already doing, right? This is the purpose of the church. We do this by serving one another in church. And then we recognize that we also do this because Jesus did it for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. We do this because this is what Jesus did. And he is the organizing principle of this community, of this church, and of we as a people who call ourselves Christians. So as we do that, you see like these levels of uncomfortability are going away. We're getting to know one another. We're finding mutuality. We're finding opportunities to serve together and live together and get to know one another. And it's beautiful and it's growing. But then we also have to do another thing, which is bear with one another and hold in love and hold one another accountable. This one we don't like so much. Nobody really likes being held accountable. And church discipline, I don't know if you've heard that term. Some of you have come from churches where church discipline is a thing and people really like it. Um, This is how I take, this is my take on church discipline. I'm always fascinated when someone comes to me and goes, Pastor, those people are doing something and you need to stop it. And I'm always like, oh, I don't know those people. Because there's a lot of people at this church. I don't know everyone. I've seen everyone, but I don't always know everyone. And they're like, yeah, you need to go tell them to stop. And I'm like, I don't know them. Do you know them? Yeah, I know them. I know them quite well. I'm like, okay, you go tell them to stop." They're like, well, I don't want to tell them to stop. I don't have any authority. You have authority. I'm like, well, that's not real. Um, I'm like, actually, the authority that you have is the relationship that you have with them. So if you really feel like they're walking down a path that's really dangerous for them or something that's really, you know, non beneficial to them, um, how can you walk with them and walk them back to the path that you believe is, is God is calling them to? That's accountability. That's not discipline. Right? I'm not about going around disciplining you all. You're all adults in relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit's guiding you in what to do. Sometimes we forget, but the people that are accountable, the people that you have in accountable relationships, those are the people that must surround you. So you gotta have those relationships. And we do this in love and we bear with one another in love. That keeps a community together. And as we do some of that hard loving, we might say, right? Some of those hard conversations because we've invested in those people and they've invested in us and they will hear what we say. The community goes stronger. There's less discomfort and uncomfortability. And we see God building up his church. But how can we engage in all that, right? Because um, that's easy to say. How can you actually engage it? There's some things you have to do in your heart, first and foremost, and the first thing that you have to do is you have to change your posture. We often come to church in a defensive posture. There's a lot of reasons for this. Sometimes we come to church in a defensive posture because we have been hurt in church. Right? And we carry baggage. And we're skeptical about whether this Lovewell thing is real and whether people really want me to belong. So we come defensively. I get that. I understand that. But I also know that that's not going to help the situation. What if we came with a posture of receiving the miracle and the blessing that God has prepared for you as you step into church, right? That miracle and blessing may be somebody that you are really uncomfortable with today, but next week is starting to become a friend. Next week, it's someone who who you're letting pass your defensive posture and you're beginning to receive the blessing of who they are in Christ as those relationships are built, right? Through worship, The word and through the community, we receive the blessing of God. What would that posture look like for you when you step in, ready to receive rather than ready to defend? But that also means that you have to be teachable. And we come to church to open up, right? To learn. To really, we come to church to change and to hopefully be transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit on our hearts. This means that we have to let go of preconceived notions and have to allow God to do a good work in our hearts through worship, through the speaking of the word, and sometimes through community as well. That means we find, we must find a humility in which we live and allow others to pour into us. We do this all while we're clinging to Jesus. Jesus. Because Jesus is the organizing principle and we have to keep going back to that organizing principle. This is the thing about Christianity. This is the thing about church. This is the thing about Christian community. When we start to get a little squirrely, a little wayward, when we start to get a little friction between us, we don't always just sit down and work it out. We do that first with the knowledge of what our organizing principle is. So we go back to recognizing how much we need Jesus. 2 Corinthians, Corinthians 12, 9 says it this way. Each time he said, my grace is sufficient for all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. We, we get this from Paul saying, I have to go back to the very beginning. I have to go back to that organizing principle. I have to go back to understanding What it is that I'm here for anyway? What it is that binds me to these people? What it is that that draws me in and motivates me? What is the catalyst for me to serve in the church and to get to know people that I don't know and get to suffer through uncomfortable situations because we are called to be together, to love one another and to build one another up in Christ? Why do we do that? We do that because we go back to that organizing principle. And that organizing principle, this idea of Jesus Also reminds us to look at the eternal picture. You see, I really believe the Sabbath, I believe that worship, I believe these things are a glimpse of the eternal. They are our practice of heaven, right? It's the practice of forever together. So in these moments, we share our time, we share our resources. We share what God has given us because we know that forever will never happen alone. Heaven is to be full of all nations and all people singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. Singing this over and over in the throne room of God, again and again, with the 24 elders bowing down and the four living beasts calling out the name of Jesus and the 24 elders dropping their crowns. I'm getting all revelation on you now, if you don't know, just for the record. The 24 elders throwing their crowns down, knowing they're in supplication to who Jesus is, what the Lamb of God has done, the one who is worthy to open the scrolls. Right. So when we are together here, when we are worshiping, when we are, when we are interacting out in the lobby, when we are taking care of our kids, when we are watching our high schoolers do whatever they do in that building, I don't really know, it's great, it's, I don't even want to know. When we do that together, that is our practice of forever, that is our practice of heaven. That's what it means to be a Christian, knowing that this world, not only is it not our home, it's just practice for the next world. And so we become good stewards of what God has given us here, both here and in the world that we live in. And that is our practice of forever. And you know what? It's uncomfortable. And if you think heaven will be less so, then you haven't been paying attention to who God wants to bring into heaven. Because it's not people just like you. And not people just like me. I get this feeling that when we get to heaven, we think, all right, it's great. Never going to be uncomfortable again. And then you're going to be like, oh, you're here. got to renegotiate what I thought was going to happen for the next forever so maybe here we can learn to be uncomfortable together and in some ways reflect the forever that God has promised us let's bow our heads Heavenly Father I just want to thank you as always I want to thank you for putting uncomfortable people in this church and Lord when I'm uncomfortable for other people I want to thank you for that too and so maybe as we, um, as we practice this forever, rather than take away that which gives us discomfort, you help us learn to be uncomfortable with one another as we use you as our organizing principle and we practice forever together. In your name I pray, amen. Stand and worship with us one more time.